So you're sitting at one of our services today, and you are a, uh, you're single. You're not married. And you'd like to be married, and you're wondering what God is doing in your life. And you've been waiting, and you've been looking, and you've been praying. And uh, if you're a young adult, you've been involved in a lot of weddings. It's just that you didn't stand in the center. You're a bridesmaid or, or, a, or a groomsman. And you're ready for that day when God brings that person to life. You're doing it right. But honestly, you're getting tired and kind of worn out and a little disappointed and even delusioned the way God's working in your life. Maybe you're at one of our campuses and um, you were raised in a Christian home. You came to Christ early on in life. And man, you appreciate all the good things about church, right? Particularly when you were young, you appreciated a good-sized bulletin. You know why you appreciate a good-sized bulletin when you're young? More room for tic-tac-toe and hangman and all those things during the service, right? We all did that. You went to a Christian college, married a Christian, your children trusted in Christ. Your dog even seems to demonstrate fruit of the Spirit sometimes. <laughs> you, you love the Lord, and you're thankful for all his blessings, but honestly... There are times, and maybe it's right now, where you, where you feel like you're just going through the motions. A lack of excitement. A lack of passion. Songs that used to give you goosebumps. Brings a tear to your eyes. And I just kind of leave you spiritually numb. The testimonies of people whose lives are changed. Again, you just kind of move through that without emotion. Maybe you came to Christ later in your life and you've been transformed. The people you went to high school with in college, they, don't even, they would not even recognize you. You've taken a right turn for Jesus Christ. But far too often, your past paralyzes you. And you get stalled and stuck by the, by the haunting of the actions of your past. And and Satan comes and says, you know what? God can never use you because of what you've done. One more group. Maybe you're here and uh, there was a day when you, when you prayed a prayer or you walked an aisle or you signed a card or when the pastor said every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. I never know why we add that last thing because if your head's bowed and your eyes closed, you can't, you can't look around. But anyway, that's another, another topic. You raised your hand. But if you're honest, nothing's changed in your life. You seldom or ever open God's word. You're just a Sunday morning only if the Steelers aren't playing or if something's not going on outside, or if you're not going to the lake, or shoot, sometimes just sleeping in. It's all the excuse you need. If you're honest, you have to admit that that profession, that signing the card, walking the aisle, that profession you made, made no difference at all in your life. Going through the motions paralyzed by the past, indifference and coldness. That's exactly what the author of the Hebrews is going to teach us today 
in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So take your Bibles and turn to this passage, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Again, we encourage you to bring your Bibles, look on your iPhones, look on your iPads, whatever you use to look at God's Word through the week. Bring them to the services and make sure you are looking into God's Word. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 is the first of five what's called warning passages in the book of Hebrews. So we all know we're driving down the road, right? And uh, there's, a, there's some lights that are blinking. There's a sign at the side of the road, and it says, uh, one, in, in one mile, one lane, right? So you know you have a mile to get down to one lane. There's a warning. You have to slow down can't keep going as fast as you were. You have to change lanes, or the bridge is out, or watch for the ice, or whatever the warning sign says, but there's a warning there, and the warning is to grab your attention. That's what the writer is doing to us today in this first warning sign. Again, there'll be four more. In this first warning sign in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is actually the shortest and mildest of the warnings, and yet Like the others, it pulls no punches regarding what we need to hear. Sometimes we don't like what we need to hear, right? But the writer says, here are some things you need to hear. And so the writer gives us three appeals or three urgings in this passage. That's the way we want to tackle it today. There are many ways you could could tackle or teach through this passage. But today I want us to look at these three urgings or three appeals that the writer gives us. And here are the three. He's going to tell us, refocus, refocus. You can't keep on the same road you're on. You're out of focus. It's blurry. It's dangerous. Refocus. Secondly, he's going to tell us, get serious. Our walk with Christ is something we take serious. We don't treat it lightly. And then thirdly, he's going to tell us, obey. Be a person who not only reads the word, but does what it says. So let's work our way through those three urgings or appeals today. The first one is refocus. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Therefore, we have to pay much more closer attention, much closer attention to what we have heard. Now, anytime you're reading scripture and you come to the word, therefore, it is a grammatical signpost. And the word, therefore, says whatever you're getting ready to read is going to be based on what you have already read. Make sense? So when we see the word, therefore, it's like, okay, time out, got to stop, because we can't read forward until we realize what's been said. So let's just review what we've talked about in chapter one. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the, writers began, the writer of Hebrews began with the, with the seven excellencies of Christ. And he said, here's who Jesus is. You've got to get this big picture of Jesus. He wasn't a, a little baby that was born in a manger and then walked on earth and died on a cross. He did those things. But you've got to realize, he's bigger than that. Seven excellencies of Jesus. He's the heir of all things. He owns everything. He's the one through whom the world was created. Don't don't put him as a baby in a manger. He was there creating the word, the world by his word. 
the radiance of God's glory. He shines out from God's brilliance. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. You want to know what God looks like? You just look at Jesus. He's the upholder of the universe. That word, remember, we talked about, it means, um, it means conductor, like, like a conductor of a symphony. He holds the world. He conducts the world. He keeps it going. He's the one who died on the cross for our sins. He made purification for our sins. And then he's the one whose work is complete. He doesn't have to add to it. He sat down at the right hand of God. So in verses 1 through 3, that's who Jesus is, seven excellencies of Jesus. Then last time we learned that Jesus is superior to the angels. The, right, the readers were having an issue maybe worshiping angels or thinking that, man, Jesus couldn't be as good as heaven's best, the angels, those powerful beings of the Old Testament. Well, the writer says, think again. Jesus is greater than the angels. So here's what the writer's saying as we begin our verse today. Because of who Jesus is, because of his greatness, because of his superiority, because he is supreme above all things because of who Jesus is, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. We've got to pay close attention to the instruction of Christ. Now, if the writer had just said, pay attention, that would have been enough, right? If the writer had said, pay close attention, that would have been enough. But he goes a step further. He says, we must pay much Closer attention. You remember when you were in school and, uh, and you started daydreaming a little bit? Remember that? No one remembers doing that? Doesn't happen in a service, I know, but at school. And you remember what happened? The teacher would say, pay attention. And then it didn't get some people's attention. Pay attention, right? And then Mrs. Kreider and Mrs. Crater, when you weren't paying attention, she'd come and get you by the shoulders and say, Ronnie, pay attention. And if the shaking didn't get you, the coffee breath would knock you over. <laughs> and you sat up straight. That's what the writer's doing here. Hey, pay attention. There are things I'm going to tell you, the writer says, that's too important to miss. There are things you can't keep doing. This is a warning. The road out, the road ahead is out. It's dangerous to keep on the same way you're going. Pay attention. Now, as believers, we know the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and gives us everything we need to live a life that pleases God. We can't live a life without the Holy Spirit living in us, right? And at the same time, God partners with us, and, and we have human responsibility. There are things we've got to do. There's things, you know, we, we can choose to obey or disobey. And after we become a Christian, that's justification, the theological word. The next part of our life, until we die and go be with God, that's glorification. This whole section in between is called what? Sanctification, Right? becoming more holy, becoming more set apart, growing in our walk with Christ. Some of the old writers just called it holiness. And here's what one, one writer says. Holiness, then, is not necessary as a condition of salvation, right? 
we, we can't be holy, and then God says, oh, because you're holy, I'll accept you. That's not a condition of salvation. We are broken and hopeless and helpless and sinners. That's how we come to Christ. Holiness is not necessary as a condition of salvation. That would be salvation by works. But as a part of salvation that we received by faith in Christ. You understand that? So as we grow in our walk, we have to make sure that we are listening to what we've heard, as the writer says. We've got to make sure we're growing in our walk. Now you say, what well, time out? I know it's not salvation by works, but man, where's the grace? Where's the grace? Isn't it all about grace, this free gift that we have? Yes, and Scripture teaches us when you have the gift of grace, that gift is also the, the power that allows us to grow. Here's what it, that's what it says in Titus chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God brings salvation, for the grace of God, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, right? It's there. And salvation, again, is not just coming to Christ, it's growing in Christ, it's being with Christ. Justification, sanctification, glorification. So the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Then, Paul says, it teaches us to say that grace, right? That grace that brings us teaches us to say no to ungodliness. We're the ones saying no, but it's that grace of God, that gift of his, that teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, holy, godly lives in this present age. That's why the writer says, you got to pay close attention to what Jesus tells you. you got to call time out. So uh, I uh, coached high school basketball, was assistant high school basketball coach the year before I went to seminary, when Lori and I were, just got married. And then after seminary, I coached junior high basketball for four, four years. I coached other sports. I loved coaching basketball. I was a blast. And we'd get those kids in there before the game, and we'd have them in the locker room. And they, they know in just a few minutes, man, they're getting ready to take the court. And their parents are there, and their friends are there, and their grandparents are there. And so we have their, their rapt attention. And so we put on the board all, the, all the, our game plan, right? The opponent is always bigger, always quicker, always better. But we're taking them tonight. So we put out what we're going to do offensively. Here are the plays we're going to run. Don't forget. Here's the pick you got to set. Here are the things you got to do. Don't forget to box out. Don't forget the basics. And then we go through the defense. We're going to go man-to-man. And, John, you have a number 10. you got to stay on him all night long. He's their best player. We may go into a zone later on. We may even go to a half-court trap. We may go into a full-court press. But you got to be ready. Man, it looks so good in that locker room. Perfect. Then we went on the court. And particularly in junior high. Man, it was like those kids just running around. They didn't know where they were. They forgot the game plan. They forgot what we had practiced. They forgot who they were supposed to guard. And so what do we have to do? Take time out. Get them all in a huddle. Guys, first, just breathe. You're just a little bit nervous. Just breathe. Relax. Refocus. This is the game plan. That's what the writer's telling us to do here. Time out. 
can't keep going down that road. It's time to refocus. Time to make sure you are on the right way. Because if you don't, there is danger ahead. Look at the rest of the verse. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Because if you don't, here's what's going to happen. Lest we, what? Drift away from it, from what we've heard, from the instruction of Christ. That word drift uh, means to, to float by something or to keep moving by something that you should connect to. It's used of a boat, actually, that uh, is supposed to go into a harbor or supposed to go into a dock, and it just keeps drifting by the dock. It misses, it misses the anchor. It misses the connection. And it's not bad enough that it misses the connection. The problem is there's danger ahead. This is the connection it needs because there's a rocky shore ahead. There are rocks in the water ahead. There are rapids ahead. If it keeps going on, it's in much danger. What's the writer saying here? Man, you have to make certain that you don't drift ahead. You don't drift away from what you believed in, what you held to, what you knew to be true. Won't take time to read it, but jot down Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 5. So Paul writes his letter to the Ephesians. And he says, you are, you are grounded. You are rooted. You guys, you demonstrate love to each other. Way to go. That's his letter. Now fast forward 30 years later. In Revelation 5, Jesus tells the church of Ephesus. Remember what he tells them? You're doing some hard work. You're doing the service. Appreciate all that. But you have lost your first love. Remember that? And then Jesus says, repent. Change direction. And return to where you came from. Do the things you did at first. And maybe today some of you, you've lost your first love. Just gotten cold. Just gotten distant. It's time to come back. That's the first warning. Refocus. Second one is get serious. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now again, salvation here is the whole package, right? Justification, sanctification, glorification. When we come to Christ, growing in Christ, being with Christ. For since the message declared by angels... Now what was, what was the writer talking about? The message declared by angels there... He's talking about the Old Testament law. In Acts 7, uh, Stephen says that, that, the, that the, the angels were a mediator of bringing down the law. Paul uh, says the same thing in, Gal- in uh, Galatians. So he's talking about the Old Testament law. And he says, since the, the, the Old Testament law was reliable, we, we agree the law is reliable, right? Summed up in the, in, in the uh, Ten Commandments. Don't murder, don't kill, don't commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. All those, all those 
Ten Commandments. They're reliable. And they're, all, they're not only reliable, but every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution. The word transgressions there means a willful disobedience of the law. I know what the law is, and I choose not to obey it. I willfully violate the law. Disobedience means unwillingness to hear. Eh, whatever. That's just a whatever, right? So the writer says that law is reliable, and when you go against the law, there is a just retribution. There's a punishment. You murder someone, you go to jail. You steal something, you get in trouble. You commit adultery, you blow up your family. There, are, there is a punishment to every law, right? Now, here's what the writer is saying. If that's true with the law that the angels gave, how much more true is it with the instruction that Jesus gave us, who is, he already told us, is superior to the angels. If, if the law delivered by angels is reliable, and if there's punishment when you break it, then the same is true with the, the, the law delivered by Jesus, the instruction delivered by Jesus, it is reliable. And when we break it, when we don't obey, there is discipline that goes with that. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, let's think about it. What does the word escape mean? What, escape what? Some believe this passage is for unbelievers. Even though the writer is writing to believers, he takes a break here and talks about unbelievers. And the escape here would be, would be hell, right? I don't believe it is written to unbelievers. I believe it's written to believers, the escape here is discipline or punishment for our sin. How will we, how do we not think there's not going to be discipline in our life if we neglect or take lightly or don't listen to or, 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 or choose to go against this great salvation, the instruction that Jesus has given us? Does that make sense? In our Christian life, God loves us so much that he gives us these warnings. And he says, when you go away, from, when you're drifting away, you're in a dangerous spot. I don't want you in that dangerous spot. So how do we think God's not going to discipline us to bring us back into the obedience that he desires for us? So you're saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Again, if this was grace... And now you're talking about God's going to discipline us. And then jive with me. I don't like that. Well, let me, let me try this illustration. So what if you guys out in Wilkinsburg, you go out and you see all the children in the, youth, in the children's ministry playing on, on Ross Street in front of that Wilkinsburg building. Or in Robinson at the corner of McMichael there where all those cars come, all those hills, your children are playing out on McMichael Street. Or Route 19 in the South Hills. It's pretty busy, right? Or, or Wheeling and Maine, just uh, right out here and to the right, and Wheeling and Maine, all our kids are playing out there in the middle of the road. Or in, uh, in Florida, on Dirksen Street, that big, busy road right in front of your church. The kids are out there playing. Now, let me ask you a question. Would it be gracious or ungracious to go get those kids out of the street? 
think you'd agree gracious, right? They're playing in the street. It's a dangerous thing. And we got to do something about it. And God says the same thing. You're going to play in the street? I love you too much. I love you too much for you to be in a dangerous, drifting situation. And I'll bring discipline into your life so that I'll get your attention so that discipline is always for restoration, so that you'll come back to me. Discipline is always for safety. Don't be deceived, Galatians says. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he'll also reap. One more. i got to move quickly here. Man, I gotta, I'm out of time. I'm already out of time. Washington, the time moves faster <laughs> than the South Hills. The last one is obey. You got to obey. You just got to do what God calls you to do. Look at the end of uh, verse 3. It, is, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's the message that, we're, that we want to follow. That's the message that was, uh, that was first declared by the Lord. Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. This is the instruction of Jesus. Now, the, 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 the writer of the Hebrews is telling the, the readers of the Hebrews, we weren't there, we weren't there with Jesus, but those who were with him, they attested to us what Jesus said. And it was with science. Jesus did miracles. Jesus healed people. He demonstrated the authority of God. That's the message we got to hold to. You have to obey it. You have to do what he's calling you to do. You can't drift. Okay, I'm going to go. I got to go through this quickly. Here's the deal. If you go to our website, BibleChapel.org, I did a blog. It'll be there. It should be there now. I'll be there tomorrow morning on what I'm going to say right now because I thought I might be running out of time. So I'm going to go fast, but that all the information I'm talking about now is on that blog. You can go read it this afternoon or tomorrow. Okay? Deal? You guys with me? I can't see anyone but you here in Washington, so are you with me? Okay, all right, good, good. Here's the deal. Back in 2012, we did a survey at the Bible shop, if you were here then, and, 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 we, and, and part of the survey dealt with, with uh, things that make me drift, and we called it, I think we called it stalled, things that get us stalled in our spiritual walk or stuck. And here were five things that caused us to drift. And then I want to give five remedies. Again, I'm going to go through these quickly, and you can read it on the blog. Here's the first one. Here's the thing that caused us, cause us to be stalled. Relationship issues. I'll go, I'll go in descending order, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, relationship issues. Singleness and desiring to be married. Marriage disharmony. Parenting issues. Work issues. Man, we got a lot of things going on in our life. We're involved with people. I get tired of working through all these issues in my life. I start to drift. I get my focus off Christ. I, 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 I start doing the things he doesn't want me to do. That was the first one. The second one, number four, was conflicting uh, responsibilities. I just got too much stuff going on in my life. I got job issues. I got family issues. Then you want me to serve at the church. I got community issues. I, I, I coach my kids sport and recreation. I'm going from early to late. And then you tell me, find time to read the Bible. When do I do that? I got too many things going on, conflicting issues. Then I get stuck. Then I get stalled. Then I start to drift. Number three, lack of accountability or encouragement. Christian life was never meant to be lived solo, but here I am. I'm out on my own. It takes time to build a relationship. 
30 or 36% said, that's one of the reasons I drift. I don't have that accountability. I don't have that encouragement from someone else. I got to stop here and slow down for one second. Guys, all the machoism and bravado that guys put forth, man, we are in desperate need of encouragement from other people, aren't we? Don't play that mask game with all that machoism and bravado. You need someone else, and you need that encouragement. Number two, I let other activities take precedence. I, 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 the tyranny of the urgent. I'm always, I'm always doing something that's got to be done, but then at the end of the day, I look in the big things I should have gotten done, they never get done. How did I not read God's word again today? How did I not spend any time in prayer again today? I don't know. I had so many things going on. Number one, Lack of, of discipline and spiritual practices. 60% said just not spending time in the Bible, engaged in worship, connected, served, sharing. I don't remember the last time I shared the message of Jesus Christ with someone. Okay, those were the problems. I got to go through the remedies even quicker, right? Here we go. But they're going to be on that blog you're going to read, right? Number five, had a spiritually moving experience. Someone said, I was stalled, I was stuck, I was drifting, but something caught my attention. And one of those things was a retreat, you said. I went to a retreat. Men, go to the men's retreat. By the way, it is a Bible chapel retreat. It's not the South Hills retreat. It's not the Washington retreat or the Robinson retreat or the Wilkinsburg retreat. I'm sorry about you guys in Florida, but you can fly up and join us on the retreat. Please do. It's the Bible chapel retreat. Guys, get to the retreat. Number four was, shared my struggles with a spiritual friend or mentor. I finally got to the point where I said, I can't keep doing this on my own. I'm vulnerable. I need someone's help. So I shared my struggles. Number three, I joined a small group. Everyone here in all of our campuses and in DeBerry, you guys can join a small group. You need to be a part of a small group. Number two, I love this one. 20, 32% of you said, just came to grips with my situation. <laughs> I just got tired of, sick and tired of being sick and tired. I, I got tired of drifting. I saw the dangers ahead. I, I, maybe there was a temptation that I got so close to, and I thought, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Just came to grips. And then number one, connected with God in a powerful way through prayer, solitude, and scripture. I got in God's word, his love letter to me. Not brain surgery, is it? Found a time to read his word. Became a priority in my life. I wanted to see what he had for me. I wanted to see how he spoke to me. When I got off base, I wanted to correct it. Jeremiah 29, 23, 29 says this, is not my word like fire? Your heart kind of cold today? Read God's word. It's not my word, my word like fire. You want your heart reignited? Read God's word. Declares the Lord like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. And I'll close with this verse. I love this verse. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 20. A person sent this into, to me in an email the other day, and they sent it in the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. It's right after David has won a great victory. And here's what David says. The Lord did it. David exclaimed, he burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So he named the place Bel Perizim, which means the Lord who burst through. 
When I think about drifting, I think about a boat drifting down a river, kind of unmanned, lack of direction, right past the mooring, right past the dock, as Ron said, heading towards the rocks, heading towards the rapids, in danger of not coming home and being settled. And I'm sure there are of those us here this morning that find themselves that way in their spiritual walk, just kind of drifting along. The days have gone by, maybe weeks or even months, where you've really meaningfully connected with God. Sure, maybe you've come to church and you sit and you've listened to the sermons and maybe sang some of the songs, but have you really connected with God? Through prayer, through reading his word in a, in a connect group or a core group, connecting with other people, right? Life's not meant to do alone. Without doing those things, we can just drift day after day, week after week, month after month. And the passage today warns us to stay connected to Jesus through his word, through his prayer, through others so we don't drift day after day.